0: Okay, you should have it down by now. Say it with me. I love my church. Yes. Do you know what you just said? You didn't say, I love this building. I love this campus. I love this property. You didn't say that. What you said is, I love my church. And friends, you are the church. So what you just said is, I love you. We love those around us, the person to your right, the person to your left, the person behind you, the person in front of you. You may not know them very well, but by being committed to the body, you are saying to them, I love and want what's best for you. That's what we're saying. And Jesus said this, all men will know that you are my disciples by your one for the other. That's right. So when we talk about loving the church, we're not just talking about a, a, a a facility or an entity we're talking about real people who are really trying to strive in their lives to honor christ and we're here to help one another down that pathway together i love my church i love you and i want what god wants for your life and i'm here to help you realize that that's what i mean when i say i love my church Well, again, I am so glad that you are here. And as we talk about what it means to love the church, uh, one of the things we spoke about was last week, this idea of being committed, committed to biblical community. And again, I'm really jazzed that five people last Sunday uh, sitting here and hearing what the scriptures had to say were, were kind of convicted. Oh my gosh, yes, I need to step into this. I need to be willing to commit to this thing called biblical community so that I can really love the church as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So one aspect of loving the church is being committed to biblical community. Today, we're going to look at this idea of loving the church through sacrificial serving. Loving the church through sacrificial serving. Why? Because saved people, it's right there, saved people, that's right. Today, we're going to look at what is a fairly familiar portion of Scripture to many, but my hope is maybe we will see it with new eyes today. Maybe we will see it in a way that we've never, maybe never quite ever seen it before. As we talk about sacrificial serving, we're going to look today at Romans chapter 12 together. Romans chapter 12. And I'm going to read a few more than six verses, and then we're going to take a word of prayer. And then we're going to tackle it and see what it really means in our lives. So here we go. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. The apostle Paul... Speaking to the church, those who have been saved by Jesus in the city of Rome, he said these words, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, that good and acceptable and perfect will. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with a sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned them. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we though many, are one body in Jesus Christ. And individually, we are members of one another. Now, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, what does it say here? Let's use them. Having different gifts, let's employ them, let's use them. I like what he goes on to say here. If you have the gift of prophecy, use it in proportion to faith. If in service, serving. The one who teaches, teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes or gives in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who acts with acts of mercy should do it in cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Let it be authentic. Let it be real. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. I like how the New Living Translation translates verse 11. Notice what it says here. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord. How? Enthusiastically. (laughs) No, no, no. You haven't got the right sense of this. Okay, here we go. Let's try one more time. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord. Yes. Yes. I get to serve God. I get to serve the king of kings i get to bless the body i get to be a part of what christ is doing in the world to transform the world it's not enthusiastically thank you jesus i get this privilege let's talk more about that in just a moment father thank you for the opportunity we have this morning to kind of come together around your word and i pray that you would speak into each one of our hearts and lives and uh, help us to appreciate the great salvation that you have secured for us. And somehow, nothing less than all of us back makes any sense at all. So today, hit home these truths to us and help us to be those who really are sacrificially serving one another. In Jesus' name I pray, Father. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, there's some kind of something going on later today. I'm trying to think of the name of it. There's um, some kind of baseball. No, it's not baseball season. It's bas. bas- no, not basketball. It's a. Uh, it's a football game, isn't it? There's some kind of football game going on later this evening. Uh, it's called the. Uh, what's the word? Yeah, and it pits two rather extraordinary teams against each other. With the uh, first pick of the draft, the Indianapolis Colts select quarterback Peyton Manning. With the first pick, the Carolina Panthers select Cam Newton.
1: They've been disrespectful all week. We're going to put them in their face. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Play physical. Let's pick the out of these guys. It's taking everybody we got. Dead zone for a touchdown. Finish, man, finish.
0: Finish, it, finish. It. Closure, <laughs> We'll win again? We are facing an outstanding team in all three phases. We have a tremendous challenge in front of us.
1: When you step on this field and on out there talking about playing against us, we fly around,
0: we hit them in the mouth. So there's like this ball game tonight. Somebody asked me yesterday, Pastor Bill, are you going to watch the Super Bowl? I said, no, no, I can't. You see, uh, it just so happens that we have somebody flying in from out west who's uh, interviewing to be head of schools here. And our interview is actually tonight during the Super Bowl. So I will have to miss this year's Super Bowl, but that's okay. Because this is the Patriots off year. They'll be in it next year. That's how that goes. So I'm okay with that. So no biggie. Uh, We'll do this again soon. Uh, but you know, tonight is, is the game, and, and in most people's minds, the way that they've geared this game is that it is the number one draft pick in 1998, Peyton Manning, the sheriff, versus <laughs> Cam Newton, the, nine, uh, the 2011 first draft pick overall, uh, the Carolina Panthers, and so he's known as Superman. Superman. And so in the, in the minds of how they're trying to promote this, it is the sheriff versus Superman. And they're trying to play that whole thing up. But you know, the only problem with that is when you get to this level of competition, when you get to the Super Bowl, it's no longer about two people. It goes way beyond just what two people can do on selective teams. It, go, it boils down to who has the best overall team That's how you get to the Super Bowl. So not only is it one versus one, first-round draft choice versus first-round draft choice, uh, overall draft, but it's the number one defense versus the number one offense. It is the number one seed in the NFC versus the number one seed in the AFC. These are two remarkable teams. It's not just about two men. You see, tonight is going to be quite a, quite a battle. It's going to be a great game, I have no doubt. And I, I, I don't want to give you my prediction or who I may be pulling for, but that's okay. We will just uh, keep moving on. <clears throat> but what makes these two teams uniquely different and calls them out from the rest of the NFL is simply this. They have the right stuff in that These two teams have the right attitude, that selfless inner motivation that drives us to perform at a high level. They have the right stuff. Better than the other teams in the NFL right now, they have the right attitude, but they also have the right aptitude. This is that innate skill which is cultivated and worked on tirelessly to be the best at what they do. And then also, they have the right achievement. This is the execution of their skill and their talent under pressure and tension. And so that is why the Denver Broncos are playing the Carolina Panthers tonight, because these two teams, 53-man rosters, are the best at their craft in the NFL. So it's no longer about just two men. It is about two remarkable, remarkable teams. You know, these characteristics that make for Super Bowl contenders are really the same characteristics that make for effective churches. It is the church that has the right attitude. It is the church that has the right aptitude and is, is honing those skills to a high level. It is the church that has the best achievement moving forward under pressure uh, and, and, and working with their talent under tension that will be the most effective church they can be. You know, every once in a while, somebody will say, do you think you're better than other churches, Pastor Bill? And my response to them is always, oh no, our goal is never to be better than another church. Our goal is always to be the best church we can be before the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our goal. Our goal is to become as effective as we can be as the people of God here at Grace. So I'm not talking about other churches. I'm not trying to compare us to anyone else. I'm just saying. That if we have the right attitude and the right aptitude and the right achievement, if we have the right stuff, we will be the most effective church that we can be. So with that in mind this morning, as we talk about this whole idea of sacrificial service, I want to draw on these characteristics and talk about how we should possess these from Romans chapter 12. So, sacrificially serving, saved people, Saved people? That's right. And we'll show you how that happens even more directly here. Number one is we should have the right attitude. And that is an attitude that is properly motivated by mercy. Properly motivated by mercy. Here's the Apostle Paul's words in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Paul says this, I appeal to you. Therefore, brothers, I appeal to you. Now, that word appeal is is a fascinating word. In the original uh, language, it is parakaleo, parakaleo. I appeal to you, parakaleo. It just so happens that one of the names that has been given to the Holy Spirit in the scriptures is the Paraclete. Parakaleo, I appeal to you or I urge you, is also used of the Holy Spirit, the helper, the comforter, the one who comes alongside you to enable you on your journey. So what Paul is doing here is he is exhorting them. He is, if you will, coming alongside them, and he's coaching them up. I urge you. I plead with you. I beg of you. I'm coming alongside you, and I really want you to get this. Brothers. Actually, the word brothers is the the word adelphoi, which is plural, uh, which really has the idea of members of the Christian community or the church, men and women, boys and girls who love Jesus Christ. I'm appealing to you. I'm coming alongside you. I'm coaching you up. And this is what I want you to do. By the mercies of God, I want you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. What he's saying is this. I want you to give to God your life and your livelihood for his exclusive use and service. I want you to give God your life. Holy and acceptable to God means that it is is something that pleases God and ultimately honors God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, the ESV translates uh, the Greek word there, spiritual. Other translations have the idea of, of a reasonable worship. The Greek word is the word logikos. Logikos. Sounds like logic. It literally means logical, reasonable. It is a rational response. It is the natural response of a rational being. And so let me summarize what Paul is saying. What he is saying is this, once you truly grasp the mercies of God in your life, your logical, rational, natural response is to give your whole life unreservedly to God for his exclusive use and service. Wow. (laughs) Really? Everything? My whole life? My livelihood? Everything? To God? You see, the fascinating thing here is it all revolves around this thing called the mercies of God. If you truly understand the mercies of God, then it is merely a logical, natural response to want to give back to God your life. And so the question remains, what are the mercies of God? What is he talking about here? If we really grasp them, then the result would be our lives being given back. Well, think of it like this. If the grace of God... Is God giving to us that which we could never earn or deserve? Then think of the mercies of God as God withholding from us or rescuing us from that which we rightly deserve and have justly earned. Does that make sense? Grace gives us what we could never earn or deserve. Mercy withholds from us or rescues us from that which we rightly do deserve. So what are the mercies of God? Now, if you look in what he says here, he says, I appeal to you, what? I appeal to you, I appeal to you, every time you see a therefore, you need to ask. That's right. Paul is basically now summarizing everything he's already said in chapters 1 through 11. And in light of all that he has said preceding, he is now giving this exhortation, now give your lives. So in order to really appreciate the mercies of God, we need to kind of walk our way back into the book of Romans just a little bit in order to understand this thing called the mercies of God. I I remember being at Capital Bible Seminary uh, one day. Uh, We were having chapel uh, at the seminary and we had this missionary come in and the missionary opened up his Bible and he said, turn with me to the book of Romans. And he said, I just want you to know that Romans is nothing more than a missionary support letter. The Apostle Paul was writing to the church in Rome, a very wealthy church, a very uh, strategic church in the city of Rome, a, a church that he had never been to. He was saying, I'm going to come to you one of these days and I would like to have some fruit among you. In other words, I would love the chance to minister among you. But not only that, let me lay out my theological understanding and he says, by the way, I would love for you to support me as I go on to Spain where I can preach the word of God where they've never heard it before. And so, in a very real way, the book of Romans is a missionary support letter. Paul laying out who he is, his doctrine, so the church there can honestly assess it, so they can help him along his way to Spain. So, Paul is laying out his theology, his understanding, his doctrine. Romans 1 says this. We're trying to understand the mercies of God. Paul said this in Romans 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Uh, That would be to the non-Jews or the Gentiles. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Listen. Next verse. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Now, the word wrath there is the, is the Greek word orge. It has the sense of, of uh, a hot anger, a passionate temper. It has the idea of righteous indignation. Uh, one person put it this way. Uh, God's orge, God's wrath, is God's holy justice, for punishment and eternal judgment on sin. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, is what he says. So he opens up this letter by saying how important the message of the gospel is because everyone stands condemned already under the judgment and wrath of God. Whoa. That's a rather sobering way to begin a letter. But he goes on in chapters 1 and 2 and 3 to lay out this concept of sin and why it's such an offense to God. And he goes on to say this in Romans chapter 3. For we have charged, Romans chapter 3 and verse 9, for we have charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, that's non-Jews or Gentiles, are under sin as it is written. And now he quotes from the Older Testament. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. We have all turned aside. Together we have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Everyone's throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is in their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Their paths are ruin and misery. The way of peace they have not known. Why? Because there is no fear of God in their eyes. So he opens up this missionary support letter by declaring his doctrine. And he's basically saying this, all the world stands under condemnation because of sin. And he summarizes chapter 3 and verse 23 with these words, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's not one who makes it out from under the wrath and judgment of God. which is Hebrew for omai. This is heavy stuff. This is heavy stuff. And the idea is not that someday when people stand before God, that somehow their good works are going to be weighed against their bad works, and somehow at that moment those whose good works are better than their bad works won't be condemned, and somehow those whose bad works are greater than their, their, their good works that they will be condemned, The sentence has already been passed. We are under the condemnation of God now. It is not like someday we're going to stand there and have our attorney speak for us why we don't deserve it. I have a feeling that when the glory of God is manifest and we behold who he is, we're not going to say a word. It's going to be so evident that we fall short of that, God. And so he's laying this out, making it very clear in chapters 1 through 3, this concept of sin in God's righteous anger on sin, wrath. Because when you sin against an infinite being, there is an infinite penalty that goes with that. But Paul doesn't stop there. And all God's people said... Oh, my goodness. If he ended there, I would say, eat, drink, be merry, and for tomorrow we die. Just have a good time, live it up, because the end is not good. But he doesn't end there. In chapters 1 through 3, he deals with the issue of sin, but in chapters 4 and 5, as he works his way through this theological discussion of what he believes and the truth of Scripture, he now talks about this thing called salvation. Salvation. And he goes on to say this in in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. But God now everything's led up to this point is you're condemned you're judged there is no hope every mouth has been stopped you will all be ultimately eternally punished from god and then he makes these words chapter 5 and verse 8 but god thank you god if god didn't step into the middle of this and do something there is no hope but it says this but god shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners he sent his son jesus christ to die for us and the people of god said thank you jesus thank you thank you because without christ there is no hope and then he goes on to say this in just a verse back he says this for while we were still weak powerless at the right time christ died for the ungodly thank you jesus thank you jesus and now Paul works forward, and he basically continues to explain what the message of the gospel is. He deals with the issue of security in chapter 6 and the issue of sanctification in verse, uh, chapters uh, 8 and 9. Uh, but when he gets up to chapter 10, he says this. If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he is the lover and leader of my life, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved, Past tense. For with the heart one believes and is justified or declared righteous based upon the work of Christ on the cross. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be... Notice the language. Saved, saved, saved. What does that mean? Saved from what? The wrath of God. That's the point. This is the point. So when somebody says, hey, have you been saved? Yeah, I've been saved. Well, we throw that word around like, yeah, 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 yeah. But the question is, saved from what? The eternal judgment and righteous anger of a holy God who has been offended. That is what Christ has saved us from. When we come to him, we will experience that kind of rescue. You have been rescued. Let me speak just a little bit more into what this wrath someday will look like. And it's, it's very humbling, and I hope it, it puts images in our minds of people that we love and care about, maybe our neighbors or our coworkers, people who are yet to embrace Christ with their life. It says this in Second Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul wrote these words to the church in Thessalonica. He says this in verse 7. When the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed, future tense, still yet coming. When the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. But for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be. (sighs) Thank you, Jesus. And I'm pleased to tell you in Romans chapter 8 in verse 1, it says these words, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And all the people of God said, thank you, Jesus. So, in light of those mercies, of the rescuing power of Christ on his death on the cross to to bear the the, the, uh, the wrath of God for our sin, I appeal to you. I come alongside and I beg of you, brothers and sisters, the body of Christ, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Give him your life because he gave his life for you. Wow. You see, This is our motivation for service. This is our motivation for sacrificial service. We do not serve God out of fear or guilt or to gain prestige or position. Our service for Jesus Christ is motivated by an attitude of pure gratitude mixed with a sense of joy and relief. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. That, my friends, is what is meant to motivate the service of the church. Saved people. Oh, if you get it, you get it. And you are so grateful and you are so humble that you are willing to do whatever the Lord wants because of what he has already accomplished for us through his son, Jesus Christ. This morning, right now, in our time together, we are going to take just a moment to reflect upon and to say thank you to Jesus for his sacrifice. Um, I want to invite those uh, who will be serving the elements this morning. Uh, We're going to partake of the bread and the cup this morning together. And it just seemed to work well this morning to encompass it in the message. The first Sunday of every month, it may not always fit in the message, but today it really does. But I want you to notice this. Much more than because we have now been declared righteous by his blood, we will be Saved through him from God's wrath. Take the next few minutes as the elements are being handed out and reflect upon what Christ has done for you in rescuing you from the judgment and wrath of God. So take a few minutes, hold the cup, hold the piece of bread and we will partake together in just a moment. Apostle Paul with instructions from Jesus Christ said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord that which I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body which is given for you. I hope that has new significance for you today, understanding why he gave his life for us. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Let's thank the Lord Jesus. Paul goes on in the same way also. Jesus took the cup after supper saying these words. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Notice this verse from Romans 5, 9. Much more than because we have now been declared righteous by his blood, we will be saved through him from God's This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Thank you, Jesus. Let's partake. Just hold on to the cups. You can throw them away in a receptacle as you leave behind that, oh, this side of that curtain. Let me pray. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, thank you so much. For your willingness to bear the wrath of God for us. Um, You said very clearly um, that you didn't want to have to drink that cup, and if it were possible, to let it pass. But there was no other way we could be made right with the Father than the Son giving his life for our sin. So thank you, Jesus, again, for your kindness toward us, your great mercy, your great goodness. We give you praise right now. And the people of God said, Amen, amen. Again, hold on to that little cup. Uh, you can throw it away uh, on your way out in just a few moments. So we are talking about we are talking about sacrificially serving. How saved people serve people. And Paul begins by ca- telling us that our attitude should be motivated by the mercy of God. Again, attitude is that selfless inner motivation that drives us. And that should be driven by the mercy of God. One person put it like this. He said this. If Jesus Christ is God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. That's what Paul is saying. My goodness, God himself died for us. And now he calls us to give our lives back to him in selfless, sacrificial service. But he moves on in this portion of scripture, I think, to really now hit home the idea of aptitude. Aptitude. We have been gifted by God's grace. Now again, aptitude is that idea of an innate skill which we can cultivate and work on to become better. So notice what Paul says here. For as in the body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, the church, though many, are one body in Jesus Christ. And individually, again, we are members of one another. Having gifts, Unique gifts of God's grace. Gifts given to us by the Holy Spirit when we come to faith in Jesus. The Spirit of God enters in and gives everyone at least one gift. A unique, spirit-enabled ability to bless and build the body of Christ. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. If your gift is prophecy, then in proportion, you know, prophesy. If it's service, serving, Teaching, you should be teaching, exhorting, contributing, leading, mercy. So what he does here is he enumerates a number of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that are given to individuals. Everybody gets at least one when they come to Jesus. Some people have more than one. But we're all called to use these gifts not for our own good, but for the common good, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So these gifts are given to us. Uh, These are what I would call the ministry gifts, They're actually designed for the use within the body, for the edification and the building up of the body. I think I would add another gift to this list from 1 Corinthians 12 called the gift of faith. And then God also gives to the body uh, a couple of gifted people. We discover that in Ephesians chapter 4. These gifted people are called pastor, teachers, and evangelists. And the role of a pastor, teacher, and evangelist is to come alongside the body and to encourage the use of the gifts for the building up of the body until we all achieve that maturity in Jesus Christ where we are living and loving like Jesus. And so that is what this gifting is all about. It is about using our gifts within the body for the greater good of all. So the question remains, how do I know which gift I've got? How do I know what my gift is? If the Spirit of God has given me a particular way that he will empower and use in the life of the body to build people up, how do I know what my gift is? Well, let me uh, give you a chance to look at a couple of websites. There are some gifting tests that people have put out there that I think are helpful. Um, one of these, uh, a couple of these sites are right here. Uh, these are free spiritual gifts tests. If you go to churchgrowth.org and, and just type in churchgrowth, uh, free spiritual test, they will show you exactly where that's at. You can take it without giving any real information. And when you're done, uh, they will tell you what they believe the gift God has given you is, And then they will show you a definition of that gift and how to use that gift in the context of the body of the church. And then another one is called spiritualgiftstest.com. Again, I think these are helpful. I think that they will guide you a little bit in this process to understand a little bit better maybe how God has made you to be used and to bless the body. Um, I appreciate what one of these websites had to say about how these tests are meant to be used. Consider what he has to say.
1: Another way to discover your your special gifts is to take a simple test and some people get this mixed up. They think a test will actually tell them what gifts they have. And that's just simply not the case. A test is, is designed to get you asking questions about yourself. So you read the question, and if you answer honestly and sincerely, you can discover things about yourself that maybe you hadn't thought of before. And maybe God will use that to, to direct you in the, in the way that He would have you go. He has gifted you in certain ways, and He wants you to know that. A test isn't a foolproof way to discover your spiritual gifts, but they're based on introspection and they help us to look into our hearts and see what God is doing and how he's made us and built us. And it's always a good idea to look at yourself and to see kind of where you're at in your spiritual walk and in your spiritual life and where you're at with God and how he's working and moving in your life. So don't rely solely on a test, um, but use it as a tool. I've had atheists take, a spiritual gifts test on our website and come back and, and blog about how they have certain gifts of the Holy Spirit. Obviously, they miss the point of what spiritual gifts are. Uh, of course, we've, we've learned already that they come from the Holy Spirit. They come from God. They're based on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and in his resurrection. If we don't have that, we don't have the Holy Spirit and we can't have spiritual gifts. If you don't have faith in Jesus, you cannot have spiritual gifts because you don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you.
0: I think that's well said. Uh, so again, these tests are designed to kind of be introspection, where you kind of answer the question based upon uh, how you see your life. And I think it's, it's helpful in kind of orienting you towards what gifting uh, God may have given you. Again, every believer in Jesus Christ has at least one spiritual gift. Some have more than one. But the goal would be that we would identify that gift and ultimately exercise that gift in the context of the church for the building up of the body. Um, Again, I think perhaps the best way, the best way to to figure out what our spiritual gift really is, to understand how God has chosen to orient us within the body, it is really by trial and error. It is by exercising activity and then finding out whether or not it actually works. I really think that that's, that's what Paul is saying here in Romans 12 too. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Notice that by testing, by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will. It is by trying it. It is by stepping out and saying, I'm here, I'm saved, what can I do to help? And you get plugged into a place, and you begin to work and and to do some things, and then over the course of time, it will become evident to you what is and isn't the gift that God has given to you. Uh, A a little bit of my story. Uh, This is how I discovered what God wanted me to do. Um, I got saved in June 6, 1985. I got saved in 1985. Last week, I told you I went to church for for the very first time in 1986. So I'm a new, a new believer, and, and, and I've got agoraphobia, and I'm entering into this church life. And, and it wasn't long before somebody said, hey, Bill, we need help in the sound room so that you, people can hear the pastor on Sunday mornings, and we want you to record tapes, and then make duplicates of the tapes for his tape ministry. And I'm thinking, I don't think that sounds like a very good idea, until I realized that the sound room was actually in the balcony of the church, which had been closed off many years before. It was this little room with a glass door. I was the only one in that room looking down on the rest of the congregation hearing the pastor speak. This is perfect. I've got agoraphobia. The best place to be is without people, right? So this is awesome. So I'm up there serving, and, and I'm, I'm doing this, and I'm making sure the pastor's heard. I make sure the order of the service is right so I can have the mics up correctly. Uh, I'm, I'm tape recording him and then creating duplicates to give out to people. It was a, it was a perfect ministry for me, and I was having a good time learning. And then somebody came along to me and they said, hey, uh, Bill, we need help in Awana. We need help in Awana. Now, so we need, we need people to listen to the kids tell their verses. And, and I'm like, I, I don't know, I don't, what does that mean? And it was, it was very simple, you have a book, they have a book, uh, they can't look at their book and they're saying verses and you can look to see if they say them right, we're perfect. And so I became a listener in Awana. And over the years I became a leader, a leader, a leader in Awana. It was Maine, by the way, so that, that all works. So I became a leader in Awana, and ultimately I also became the commander, which is the head over the Iwana clubs. And so I'm an Awana guy. Firmly Awana stands, led by the Lord's commands. Approved workmen are not ashamed. Boys and girls for his service claimed. Hail Awana on the march for youth. Hail Awana holding forth the truth. Building lives on the word of God, Awana stands. It goes on and on and on and on. But I did that every week, trying to get the kids involved. And so I was an Awana guy. And so I'm doing this, and then Jim Welch was standing by the door on the way into the church, and he said, hey, Bill, it was summertime, you know. "Um, Our teacher for the summer for the third grade girls Sunday school class isn't available this summer. So we would like you to teach the third grade girls. And I'm like, oh no, a teacher, me do that? And I'm thinking, I don't want to mess these little girls up. That would be so bad. And so my initial reaction was, no. He said, pray about it. Ah, thanks. So I'm praying about it, and the Lord's like, yes, say yes. Say yes. Okay, Jim, I'll do this. So I got the packet curriculum, and I'm going home, and I am studying like you wouldn't believe. I really don't want to mess these girls up. So I study really hard, and all that summer, I taught the third grade girls Sunday school class. And something remarkable happened uh, along about the end of the summer. April Bartlett, who was the senior pastor's wife, walked by after I, teach, after I taught the girls, and she said these words to me. She said, Bill, you're good at that. And I thought, I am? That statement helped to orient my life in a particular direction. And the next thing I know, we're going off to New Brunswick Bible Institute in New Brunswick, Canada. Uh, Bambi and I have been married and, and we're getting ready to go off to school. And I'm not really sure why I'm going to Bible school other than I know this. There are only two things that live forever, the human soul and the word of God. And if I really want to have impact in this world that goes beyond this life, then I should invest myself in those two things. So I'm going off to Bible school. And on my way there, I'm saying, Lord, whatever you want. Lord, whatever you want. My life is yours. Whatever you want. And then up to me walks this man by the name of Rob Burns. Bill, I've got this little church in Florenceville, New Brunswick, Canada. I'm going there, and I'm speaking every Sunday, and I'm doing Sunday school. It would be much easier if we could team up, and, and I would speak one week from the pulpit, and then you would do Sunday school, and the next week you could speak from the pulpit, and I would do Sunday school. And I said to Rob Burns, in no uncertain terms, No. I'm still in the throes of agoraphobia. I'm still trying to figure stuff out. I'm still trying to make sense of life. And then all of a sudden, those words, you said you would do anything. The Holy Spirit was coming alongside. You said anything. And I thought, no, that's not what I meant. Well, okay, it's what I said. Yes, I did mean it, but right now I don't. You know, it's one of those things, you know, I'll do anything you want, Lord, but not this. And so finally, I said yes for three years. We team together in this little church, and we work side by side. And I'm glad to say that when we first started out, there were only five people attending this church—only five people. God knew my comfort level here. I have agoraphobia, so I'm preaching to five people, which is not so bad. I got—I got—I got okay with it. At the end of three years, I think our population went up to eight, and so you know, percentage-wise, that's pretty amazing growth, don't you think? So, uh, so we did this together for a while, and I can still remember Rob Burns coming to me after one of these times I spoke, and he said, "Bill, I think God's going to use you to do this." And I'm like, "No, yeah, I was willing to do whatever." And in that process, one thing led to another, led to another, led to another, led to another. It was all by trial and error. I screwed up more times than I can let you know about. But through the process of testing, through the process of proving, through the process of experiencing, I was able to prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God for my life. And I really think that that's where most of us need to go. While these tests are helpful, I really think that the key is this. We need to get involved. We need to get involved. It says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let's use them. Jump in. Don't wait. Don't, don't be fearful. Just jump in. The, the way I learned to swim was I jumped in. I had a next-door neighbor. Uh, his name was Uk Chung. This is South Portland, Maine. My next-door neighbor was Korean. And so we were here in, in, in Maine, and, and Ook says to me one day, uh, uh, William, uh, you want to come to the YMCA with me? I, I have swimming lessons. I thought, sure, I'll go to the YMCA and do swimming lessons. We arrive at the YMCA, and all us little boys are kind of stripped half-naked, and these kids were running and jumping into the deep end of the pool and swimming. I didn't know it was an advanced swimmer's class. I didn't know how to swim. So I'm standing there and I'm watching these kids ahead of me in line run and jump into the deep end of the pool. And I'm too embarrassed to say anything. So it's my turn and I'm like, <laughs> so I, I run and I jump, <clears throat> land in the water, and I open my eyes and I watch the walls go up. on me. I just kept going down and down. And I watch bubbles come up and I'm thinking, I want to breathe. I want to breathe. So I start kicking and I start swimming. And the next thing I know, I break the surface. <gasps> and I learn to swim sometimes when it comes to this thing called service you just gotta jump in you just gotta jump in don't wait for the perfect opportunity jump in and god through his grace will make clear to you what he wants you to do and you will discover your particular gifting that the holy spirit has put on your life get involved grow in the scriptures do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind Be faithful. It says, if in service, then serve. If you're teaching, then teach. If you're exhorting, exhort. In other words, do it. Get involved. Use it. And then thirdly, or fourthly, ask others what they may be seeing in you, what they think of what you're doing. Sometimes somebody else can see something that we can't see, like April Bartlett. Bill, you're good at that. Rob Burns. Bill, I think God can use this in your life. I think those comments are very helpful as we try to discern what God is doing in and through our lives. But I do want to warn you that sometimes the church is notoriously nice. And we will say, that was beautiful, or that was wonderful, or that was terrific, and it was really lousy. Okay, Sometimes we're afraid to tell people the truth. We're not always objective, so just temper that with a little bit of salt. Um, Fifthly, do you have joy? I really think that we should be joyful if we find our right fit in the right place, we should feel it and we should feel a sense of joy. Get involved. Grow in the scriptures. Be faithful. Ask others what they think or see. Do you have joy? And then fifthly, or sixthly, is there fruit in other people's lives? Are other people being blessed by what you're doing? Because remember, these gifts that God has given to us are not for ourselves. They are for the common good. They are for the building up of the body and my gift should bless you. And your gift should bless me and the rest of the body. So these are, I think, the best way to figure out how God has gifted you in the best way for God to use you. So when we talk about the church, a sacrificially serving church, saved people who serve people, it's because we have the right attitude. We're motivated by mercy. We have the right aptitude. We've been gifted by God's grace. We're jumping in. We're trying to figure out what God wants us to, for us to do. So we're applying ourselves. And then lastly, we simply have the right achievement in other words we have been fortified by faith i think one of the greatest reasons why most of us don't step out and get involved is because we're afraid the opposite of faith is fear do not operate in fear operate in the sense of confidence in god that he knows what he's doing it says this that we should serve according to the measure of faith and may that measure of faith grow as we learn to trust God more and more in proportion to our faith may we learn to trust God more and more well pastor Bill that's all well and good I really appreciate this this was a fun morning the whole sacrificial service thing that's really cool here comes the so what so are you serving somewhere in the body of Christ in the life of this church you see Paul likens it to a body a physical body and imagine if you will that your liver says to you one day yeah i'm done i'm just not doing this anymore you would be very unhealthy imagine if your ears said i'm, I'm, I'm quitting that's it nope all of a sudden you can't hear if if, if your uh, hands all of a sudden said yeah i'm just tired i'm not doing this anymore Well, oh, now you can't you can't do anything This is what it's like in the body of Christ if we're not all actively engaging our gifts in the life of the body. Too many churches are handicapped because people aren't actively employing the gifts that God has already given us through the Holy Spirit. So where are you engaged? Where are you serving in the life of the church? Let me uh, put you uh, onto a place where you can understand some of the things that that are available in the life of grace. Uh, On our website, I I reference the website all the time. It is gracewaldorf.org, gracewaldorf.org. If you go down the left-hand side and click on Experience Grace, right here, Experience, and click on Invest, you will see this page. Grace exists to demonstrate God's love to others. 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. God desires to use the gifts and talents and abilities he has given us to benefit others. When you give your life to Jesus, you are signing up to minister to others in his name for the rest of your life. You didn't know that, did you? It's in the small print. (laughs) That is what God has made you for. You see, if you've been saved, you're called to serve. That's what God has done, that's what his plan is. And so as you page down this list of ministry opportunities, you're going to see opportunities to engage in our first impressions team, ushers, greeters, foyer hosts, check-in specialists. You're going to see Sunday school opportunities. We need teachers uh, in the Sunday school department. We need teachers in the children's church department. Uh, one is at 9 o'clock. One is at 10:45. We need nursery workers. Uh, we need a wanna help. I wanna meets Sunday nights from 5 to 7. Uh, we need help with people with grace study groups, people to lead new groups, to host new groups. We need help in the area of small groups, uh, likewise. Uh, buildings and grounds. We happen to have a 17-acre campus with 60,000-plus square feet uh, of building. Uh, If you happen to have a skill or a trade or simply time, we can use you uh, in this endeavor. And there's office assistance as well as musical opportunities on Sunday morning early or Sunday morning in this service. So what I'm saying is this. There's all kinds of opportunities to jump in the deep end. All right, just get a toe wet then. But get in. Get in and start serving. I wanna give you one last opportunity, then I'm done and then the band's gonna come up and we're actually gonna sing a song, so do hang around. Um, there are two ways to serve in the local church. One is in the area of your gifting. That's always preferable. We always want people to be in the place where they're rightly fitted and suited. But the second area that you need to serve in the church is in an area of need. Every once in a while there's a need that arises in the life of the church that has to be met or else a ministry can't go on. And one of those needs that's been highlighted more recently is in the area of children's ministry during this hour. No. Anything but kids, right? Yeah, I know. No. Kids are wonderful. By the way, they're yours. So what we really need at this hour is we are looking to raise up four teams, four teams, so that each team will serve one week a month and we're only asking you to serve for four months that's the commitment that's what we're looking for you'll serve the month of March April May and June we will take it down and do something different for the summer and then we'll reconstitute for the fall but during this service uh, in our children's church program right now at the 1045 time frame we are looking for help and so the help uh, can be in many different areas you can uh, seek to be a team leader A team leader organizes the team and handles check-in. Story leaders will tell the weekly story and coordinate skits. The assistant will help the story leader with the skit and other duties. The games leader will oversee organizing the games and watch the kids before and after. The worship leader will lead in music in the worship portion. And then the tech assistant uploads digital resources and runs the projector during the worship session. So this is a team. Right now we have two teams. We're looking for two more teams. And if you can help us here, this is a good toe in the water for you. One week a month for four months. That's the commitment we're asking for. And what I would like you to do is reach into the chair back in front of you. There's one of these nice little cards. And what I will do is I will put this in the hand of either um, Mindy Roberts or Simone Alger. They're the two who are leading two more teams right now. I would love to ha- put this in their hands, and they will get in contact with you how you can help in this area of need in the life of the church at this Awesome. I think there's some kind of football game tonight. I'm not watching it. Let's pray. (sighs) Father God, thank you for your grace in our lives. And thank you for your mercy. Uh, Too often we don't even refer to the mercies of God. And yet I think of that man who said, Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And that one went home justified rather than the proud one. Lord, thank you for your manifold mercies. I pray that you would continue to speak into our worlds about being those who serve in the local church. We're all in different places, but we all have been gifted by the Holy Spirit to help somewhere. Help us to figure out where.